Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm all for looking at the sunny side of things. And so if you, like me, have complained about college football officiating a time or ten in the past, do yourself a favor and go watch the replay of the Women's National Championship earlier. Two things. Congrats to LSU, and that was a wet garbage bag of officiating. Horrendous. However, the casuals out there got the perfect confluence of what they need in every game. They got bad officiating and the ability to call someone classless. So there's that. That's all you really look for. We're jam-packed. We're high atop a picturesque downtown Nashville, Tennessee. It is Sunday, April 2nd, the year of our Lord, 2023. And believe it or not, we got spotlight teams to talk about. And there was some some consternation amongst our staff today as to what a spotlight team is. Well, it's not necessarily my playoff picks, but what it is is a team or tonight, in this case, teams that I think uh, bear watching, they at the very least will be a major point of interest in the sport this year. And I also have a sneaking suspicion with the teams I'm going to bring up tonight that they're going to reverberate a little bit, whether they succeed or fail and fall on their face this year, that will reverberate a little bit beyond just their program. Michigan had a spring game yesterday. Uh, Spoiler alert, they're going to be really good this year. I will talk to you in some detail momentarily about just how good South Carolina Mood Tracker is tonight. I saw two tornadoes Friday, and I will discuss, along with giving you fair warning, that it's going down again Tuesday. They're watching us in Cleveland, Tennessee. Albi, France. 50-50 on the pronunciation, but thank you for watching. Anyway, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Brenham, Texas is tuned in. Yes, indeed. Mississippi, Texas, Arkansas. Whomst knows where you end up storm chasing, but... um. There's a half-decent chance we're in any of a number of those states this Tuesday. Uh, make sure you're following on the socials, at Lake Kick Josh, because there's a healthy amount of college football there and other. And I can't quite frankly tell you at any given day what the other is going to be, but I think it will be entertaining for you. Okay, that's way, way deep later in the show. We got a lead with what got us here, and what got us here is college football. Spotlight teams. Got some spotlight teams to talk to you about tonight. Spotlight teams, before I start actually diving into any of the four of them I'm going to get to tonight, I am interested in teams that have a lot of questions about them, pretty high profile, also teams that I think there may be a little bit more to beneath the surface than the preview magazine culture is going to give you. And since it is right now, April 2nd, and preview magazines don't come out for a few months, this is our opportunity to get ahead of the curve on this stuff a little bit. Okay, so Colin, here's a good endpoint for you. Texas is a really big spotlight team this year. I think a lot of you already spotlight Texas every year because there is a crowd that wants to call Texas back, and then there is another crowd that likes to call Texas perennially overrated, and then there's the model, which thinks Texas could beat the Chiefs, and I just described 100% of college football fans. Everybody is encompassed in one of those three compartments. Eight and five last year. Now, I want to pause because I have to apologize. As has been pointed out to me by several of our listeners and viewers, I for whatever reason, just have it in my mind, Texas won seven games last year. And you can't even explain it away as, well, you, you must mean regular season, and then they just lost, they, they just won the bowl game. No, they lost the bowl game. So they had eight regular season wins. And for some reason, I don't know if you ever do that, you just misremember something. I flat out misremembered Texas's win total. So anyway, they won eight in the regular season last year off of a five-win season the year before. 
In Fortson, where I'm from, we call that progress, at least linearly. They have back-to-back top five recruiting cycles, so there's some good energy around the program. But this is not just a preview. What should we expect from Texas? This is about them being a spotlight team this year. Keystone program, meaning very simply, we use that term sometimes, what happens there extends an impact well beyond just Austin, Texas. They return 85% production from a top 20 offense from last year or a top 20, well, top 20 team in a lot of cases. I, I in the model, me in the model, although we've been on the outs with Texas recently, would have power rated them top 20. But defense, that's what I want to talk to you about for just a second. And then I'm going to tell you why I think this is a, it's a show me year. So this is a Keystone program and a show me year. Anytime we get that, if, if Bama were to ever slip under Saban and it was a show me year, if Georgia slipped under Kirby, Ohio State, you could kind of describe as being in a show me year this year. Anytime these really big brands are in a show me year, always really good theater. Even if you don't really care about the football aspect, if you're just into the high stakes drama, the storytelling, even this is for you. Their defense last year, 28th in points per game allowed. Did you know that? I don't think some of you did. And the reason is because you're still drunk on 97th in defensive points per game a year ago. They dramatically improved defensively last year. I think in week two when Bama went in there and the final, Jesse, wasn't it like 20 to 19? I should know. I was there. People looked at that and said, ooh, Bama just had kind of an off day. Maybe they did. Uh, Texas was not a bad defensive outfit last year. So that's kind of quietly been happening. And it's been overshadowed by a lot of the quarterback stuff. There's signs of improvement there. They're obvious. The thing that people will continue to throw in your face, which is every bit within their right until it changes, is Sark is 2-7 and seven against top 25 teams at Texas. And all seven of those losses have been by one possession. So you got the one possession stat. I think he's like 4-10 and 10 overall in one possession games. But seven of those have been against top 25 competition. I guess the good news is they haven't been getting blown out there. But I want you to consider this. This is where it extends beyond Texas. Think about the SEC ramifications for just a second. Because it's no breaking news that Texas, along with Oklahoma, are in their last go-around. It's their last hurrah. Last trip around the merry-go-round there in the Big 12. And then they're going to go to the SEC. Well, before they do that, we're going to play this upcoming season. And we're going to start to get a really good feel for where Texas is going to be. Because there's a pecking order. They're going to slide in somewhere. Are they going to be the eighth best program or the second best program? Stiff competition, you know that awaits you. Where do you fit into it? You got scenario A, Texas wins double-digit games this year. Obviously, they would continue to recruit at a high level. That means quarterback has worked out for Sark, and all of a sudden, they look like a really powerful program coming into the SEC. Or scenario B plays out, and it's just another six- or seven-win campaign. No one's really impressed by it. They would not have won the Big 12. They're not in playoff contention. They're probably out of it by you know mid-November. And at that point, you're, you're watching yourself very unsure. You're a little wobbly as a program, and you're going into very, very shark-infested waters. That matters a lot. It matters a lot because, see, there are some programs, I'm going to talk about one in a second, that are in the SEC right now. Not Bama, not Georgia, but some other programs. Think about Auburn. How do they view Texas and Oklahoma? Arkansas, South Carolina, Florida. So how do those programs view Texas and OU? Because depending on how they start performing in years three and two of their head coaching regimes respectively, they could come in above you or below you in the SEC. Only so many only, so many, yeah, that's right. Only so many wins to go around once they get over there. Where do they slot? That's what you'll start to figure out this year. Consider the college football playoff ramifications this year. They have the ninth best odds to win the title due to the Texas Longhorns, but that is tops in the Big 12. I think that surprises people every year when they see it. But yes, Texas plus 2,000 to win the college football playoff national title. The next closest in the Big 12 is OU, and they're plus 4,000. So Texas comfortably sitting atop the odds market. That definitively means they'll be the preseason favorite to win the Big 12. You can make of that what you will. Pretty elite wide receiver room, by my estimation. Defensive line has been vastly upgraded there. They've got experience in the offensive line. And like we talked about, and like we'll continue to talk about and hear everyone talk about, Quinn Ewers, Arch Manning. 
That's about as good as you can do putting together a quarterback room. But what happens at Texas this year is going to have impact felt far beyond just Austin, Texas. Moving right along, I got another spotlight team for you to watch. This is not program. This, these are about spotlight teams. Florida State is a major spotlight team in 2023. The feel, at least the feel I get, is they're going to be a really big national favorite this year. And I don't just mean everyone's going to pick them. Sure, that's going to happen. A whole lot of people are going to pick them. Because, quite frankly, a lot of folks are just ready to see the Florida State logo really at the head table and mattering in the A-level of college football conversation again. I'm one of those people. I feel that way. But what I mean is, because of all that, and because there has not been any competition to speak of in the ACC, and folks have gotten tired outside of Clemson of watching Clemson essentially be gift-wrapped a conference every year, seemingly, a lot of folks are going to pull for Florida State, the same reason they'd pull for Miami for one year, or they'd pull for Virginia Tech, or they'd pull for NC State for one year. Now, they wouldn't be lifelong diehards, but they just want to see some parody, some competition injected into the ACC. Well, if that happened, it'd make a lot of people happy. Nationwide, it'd make a lot of people happy. Here's what we know. While we don't know how the season will end, we do know they are number one in FBS in returning production at 87%. Returning starters is one stat. Returning production is a stat I like to value a lot more. Defensively, they return 94% of their production. Essentially, that just means your entire defense is back. They are the next closest Power 5 team, by the way, Stats and Info tells me on that front, is Missouri. And Missouri returns 84% of their defensive production. So that is way behind Florida State. Florida State by a mile, and it's not even close. Florida State by a mile returning the most defensive production. They are coming off their first 10-plus win season since 2016, and they have the sixth best odds to win the college football playoff national championship. They're tied, seventh best odds. The ties aggravate me to no end, by the way, because it really messes up my list. Uh, they're right there with Clemson, by the way. I think I've said that 50 times already this year. At least 50 more times, I will remind you, Clemson and Florida State have equal odds in the ACC to win the college football playoff. So here is where I think this is a big spotlight team this year. I already mentioned it's Florida State. It is a former major brand that could be reascending and reasserting itself on the national level. It could be that they inject a lot more competitive balance in the ACC. Yes, these things are huge. That's why I just mentioned them. But then there's a sub-layer of context. And the sub-layer of context is we are in the transfer portal era now, and Florida State, to their credit, has very effectively mined the transfer portal. That's not what I'm talking about. The reason I think Florida State is a spotlight team this year is because what it would do to reverse some of the trending, I guess, feelings towards coaching hires. Lincoln Riley screwed it up for everyone last year because Lincoln Riley goes to USC and he just flips a program immediately in a way that you're not supposed to be able to do, but he utilized every available resource, including the transfer portal heavily, and he wouldn't put a new team together, and they exploded immediately. They were a double-digit win team immediately after being a disaster the year before. Well, folks have watched that and erroneously thought to themselves, well, if you can do it one place, you can do it any place. Well, Mike Norvell has been at Florida State, and it's a perfect illustration that no two situations are equal. No two rebuilds are equal. They didn't have a good record in year one. They didn't have a good record in year two. But year three, all of a sudden, they had a really good record last year. And then this year, they could build even upon that. It's not a guarantee. When you win 10 games, it's definitely not a guarantee that you build on it. But if they do, it lends further and further credence to the idea that, hey, this is still a way you can do it as well. You can still do it the way that Mike Norvell's doing it and what it would, I think, inject into the conversation in a lot of places where maybe a coach struggles right out of the gate is, should we, should we have patience with this guy? Well, of course you should. But a lot of the thought out there has gotten discombobulated because in the transfer portal era, some folks in the room, unfortunately, who have decision-making power, think you're just supposed to be able to hit the reset button. Quite literally, like a video game, just hit the reset button. Because why? Well, just go get kids out of the portal. Like, it's that easy. So Mike Norvell, and for that matter, Steve Sarkeesian as well at Texas and a couple other ones, their rebuild process, if it pans out or continues to pan out in Florida State's case, that's important. First month of the season, 
also important because Florida State has standing in their way. LSU and then Clemson, week one and week four. So September is going to be obviously a a very front-loaded schedule. The first month of the season, very front-loaded for Florida State. I think there's so many components. You could, you, could, you could have frozen someone for 20 years, and then you bring them back, and they will ask, among other things, hey, how many titles has Florida State won? Miami. Didn't they put him in that ACC over there? Okay, they've probably just run roughshod over it. No, they haven't. But Florida State did win a title in that time, so there is that. They could be back. And the recruiting dynamic, because of them potentially being back, is always in the background of the conversation. It's been a, an ongoing theme on our show that I'll repeat one more time but won't dive too deeply into it. I have long been a believer the ultimate key to competitive balance in college football is recruiting, evening out in Florida, Texas, and California. And over the last few years, you saw the Texas programs underachieve, you saw the Florida programs underachieve, and you saw the Southern California programs underachieve. And because of that, the big boys from out of state came in and took your talent. Well, now Miami has fully invested in riding the ship. Florida State has already begun to actually on the field ride the ship. You've seen what Texas has done. You've seen the maximum investment A&M has and the kind of recruiting classes they've been bringing in. You see what Lincoln Riley is doing at Southern Cal and UCLA just got Dante Moore, five-star quarterback out of Michigan of all places. As that starts to happen, it chips away six or eight or nine percent off of the rosters of Clemson or Ohio State or Alabama or Georgia. They'll still be really good, but those all-time elite classes, those all-time elite teams that you're watching beat you, Bama's got an entire secondary of South Florida talent as they win a national title in 2020. That's the stuff you're trying to prevent. How do you do that? You got to get good on the field again so that kids know I don't, I don't have to leave my home state to achieve maximum results in college football. They have had to do that for a while. You can change that. So those are some of the reasons Florida State's a spotlight team this year. Now, we've reached the part of the program where I would like to take a sip out of the chalice because I'm, I have to be positive around here because I'm around a lot of negative people. And so let's just get into it. I think Arkansas is a spotlight team in college football this year. They had a weird 2022. I was up there in week one. Now, granted, I couldn't see much of anything because I was struggling from the after effects of caffeine overdose, cold brew caffeine overdose, to be clear. Um, but nevertheless, I was up there. Cincinnati came into town. They beat them. But they got really banged up in the process. They lost some extremely key depth in the secondary. And as a result, they ended up eh, yada, 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 having one of the worst, if not the worst, secondaries in the country last year. Since 2017, in SEC play, just to give you an idea of how rocky the road has been in Fayetteville, they've been, and this is since 2017, 1-7, 0-8, 0-8, 3-7, 4-4, 3-5. The 4-4 four four year was obviously the big springboard year a couple of years back with Sam Pittman and whatnot. And that's why last year, going into last year, I, to a certain extent, and many other people were very excited about the kind of team they could have. They did not have that kind of team. I think partly due to injury. I think partly due to the fact that it's a very competitive schedule. And I think partly due to the fact that internally they weren't as good as they should have been. That's just kind of a culture thing. Why Arkansas, though? Why would they be a spotlight program in college football this year? Well, what's been the biggest theme with this team? Remember when Pittman got hired and there was approximately a market of zero other teams out there for him? It's not like Arkansas got into a bidding war. Sam Pittman's only shot at being a head coach at this level was going to be Arkansas, which is not a problem at all if he wins. And so the argument and the thought has been, hey, if someone like that, a very unconventional hire is able to build a very, very unique sort of bubble culturally to where it's so attractive he can have his pick of assistant coaches and certainly the university will back him financially. They'll pay him handsomely. They'll pay his staff handsomely. Uh, they'll fully invest in facilities and whatnot. And all of a sudden, they're, they're a destination for coaches. They're a destination for the transfer portal. All of a sudden, if that approach works, then Arkansas becomes the blueprint 
for a lot more unconventional hires to happen out there. Not for the top-tier programs. They don't have to hire unconventionally, but there are only a few top-tier programs. What does everyone love to talk about? The haves and the have-nots. The blue bloods, you know, the privileged few and the unprivileged many in college football. Well, if Sam Pittman or Shane Beamer at South Carolina, if those kinds of coaches are leading, you know, great resurrection stories at their respective outposts, that's a good thing for the rest of the sport. But there's this pesky little matter to attend to with Arkansas this year, and that is they got to make sure the season doesn't go off the rails or else you just have a lot of told you so. You just have a lot of Jessies walking around. Uh, it, speaking of walking around, Jess, producer Jesse, noted hater, walks in today with 37 different reasons why Arkansas is going to crash and burn this year. Pass defense, yeah, we know, worst in FBS last year. Uh, they lost their top five pass catchers. Not ideal. Uh, they are replacing both coordinators. You just hope, maybe against hope, that culture is strong there. And also, you have some addition by subtraction. Because definitely on paper, this team is not going to look like a team that makes you go, uh-oh, Western Division dark horse, uh-oh, surprise 10-win season coming up. Rarely does it look like it's going to end up. I mean, last year it did look like you could pull that off, and how did it end up? Conversely, the year before it didn't look like that, and how did that year end up? So very rarely do things appear as they actually will end up. But I think for the reasons I just mentioned, Arkansas is a spotlight program this year. And also, I mentioned a little while ago, you're about to add two new programs to this conference. And I don't know where they'll be slated yet. I don't know where they'll be slotted, OU and Texas. Teams like Arkansas are important. Ole Miss, um, Arkansas, Auburn, South Carolina, all these programs there that aren't at the top of the conference but aren't at the bottom of the conference exactly either. The status of those programs is also equally important to what the status is of OU in Texas when they come in the SEC. Because like I said, that slotting, everyone's looking at OU in Texas saying, boy, y'all aren't going to like it down here. Well, the fact is, some of y'all telling OU in Texas they aren't going to like it down here are going to be far more victimized by OU in Texas joining the SEC than they will ever be victimized by being in the same conference as you. Am I talking to Auburn? Am I talking to Arkansas? Am I talking to Ole Miss? Am I, am I talking to a and I don't know. That's the point. That's why 2023 is so pivotal for a number of programs, OU, Texas, and pretty much everyone outside of the top two or three in the SEC in figuring out how the slotting is going to work in the SEC this year. And lastly, actually, it's not even close to last. It's just the last one I have for tonight. I want to go to the West Coast for a second. I want to talk to you about a team. It's not in Southern California, though, but it's also not in Seattle. It's kind of a, it's probably closer to Seattle than Southern California. Oregon is a big spotlight team this year. Oregon, I think, is a little under the radar this year. This should not be. Um, Oregon lost two games last year. They all lost to, what, Jesse, uh, Oregon State, Washington. They lost those games by three points and four points, respectively. They were close to doing so much more last year. They got body bagged by Georgia in week one. But even with that loss, had they taken care of business the rest of the way, you know, had they looked like they did that afternoon, I saw them up in Austin against UCLA, they would have been a playoff team, or at least they would have been a Pac-12 championship team because they beat Utah, who was the Pac-12 champ. But they shouldn't be below your radar. But even if they are a little bit below your radar, I want you to think about what all's on the line this year for Oregon, and then with Oregon extending beyond Oregon. I'm not sure there's another team out West that is going about assembling a talent roster like they are. And I know USC is getting a lot of spotlight, as they should. We've given them a lot of spotlight. But overall, if, if you're a believer, as I am, that ultimately in postseason play, later in November, conference championships, postseason play, that line of scrimmage is still going to determine things in depth. Quality second line depth is ultimately going to determine who ends up on the top of the mountain. Oregon is doing as good a job at assembling that kind of roster as anyone, including USC, right now on the West Coast. They are number nine overall this cycle in combined recruiting. So that adds in the portal. I had Jesse go look this up for me. 
over the past two cycles, they've added 23 new prospects in the front seven. Uh, 13 of those are four-star caliber or higher. I think they will excel at developing those positions because of the identity of the coaching staff out there, including the head coach, Dan Lanning, which brings me to another point. Dan Lanning was a first-year head coach last year, among the very youngest in the country, by the way. And so their identity is still very much evolving. What they want to be is not evolving. They could tell you really, really quick what they want to be. But the overall identity it shows on Saturday, they show on Saturday, that's still a work in progress, as is the balance of power in the Pac-12. We had so many, we had so many firsts last year. Lanning, first year at Oregon. Uh, Lincoln Riley, first year at USC. And so there was a lot of overturn. And Kyle Whittingham's just the steady, solid rock, doesn't ever move, wins the Pac-12, and then gets forgotten again. But this team and the future of the Pac-12 kind of go hand in hand. I'm not even talking about the conference realignment stuff. I can't know how long Oregon's going to be in the Pac-12. Let's just assume for a second they're there for a little while. We do know something else. We do know USC and UCLA are gone in about five minutes. So USC can be as good as they want to. They're not going to be in this conversation in another year. What does the Pac-12 look like post the Southern California schools moving? And for that matter, what does it look like this year with them there? Because Oregon could very well win the conference this year even with them there. Their losses, like I said, Washington, three points. Oregon State, four points. Uh, I, I was perusing, if you will, some Heismanads earlier today. And as much as we just talked about recruiting and the big-time names that Oregon landed, if you talk to the people at Oregon, they'll tell you the biggest recruiting job they did and the biggest recruiting win they had is landing Bo Nix. What do you mean landing him? He was already there. Yeah, they kept him there. Could have easily gone into the NFL draft. And instead, Bo Nix stays. And I think some of you who call yourselves hardcore college football fans, you sleep under casual covers. And those folks can identify themselves very quickly because those folks would still have visions of Auburn Bo Nix in their mind. Uh, Last year, the guy I watched was a far cry from the guy that I watched down at Auburn. Totally different player, totally different fit. And by fit, I mean this being the right fit for him. He is the fifth best odds right now to win the Heisman Trophy this year. I want you to take yourself back, not very far, take yourself back to 2021. Bo Nix is down at Auburn. And I want you to imagine, unless it's that that thread from the message board that uh, gets passed around every now and then, I want you to imagine two years later, I don't tell you where he's at. I just tell you Bo Nix is right in the thick of the Heisman conversation. If you, if you know our sport, that shouldn't surprise you. But we get shocked every year by 15 different things, and yet everyone allows themselves to still be shocked. This is a team that should be taken seriously this year, but because of the two losses last year that bumped them off the radar a little bit, and because of that generic Pac-12 stance I know a lot of you have, you're going to dismiss them. That generic Pac-12 stance sounds like this. Pac-12 can't win the playoff. I, I, look, make the playoff. How about that? They can make the playoff. I don't necessarily need them winning it. Make the playoff. Oregon could be a playoff team this year. And that shakes up a lot of things. It would shake up a lot of things because they're also showing you in a non-Southern California way, recruiting hasn't fallen off out there. Y'all can talk all you want to about Mario Cristobal. And I trust me, I get it all the time. People say, Mario's just a recruiter. Okay, if that's the criticism you want to throw at him, do that. But even if you're right, That means if he's a great recruiter, he's a great recruiter, right? And if a program loses him, recruiting should fall off, right? I think you're half right. He is a great recruiter. But this program's recruiting hasn't really fallen off, which means they got some pretty good recruiters up there that they plugged in to replace the outgoing staff. All those things can be true. Another truth, another universal truth, if we were doing a late kick extra pod right now, that's where I would have dropped the ad break out of nowhere would have caught him like like sting from the rafters it would have caught him another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But this is where we very ethically and very in front of your face just talk about Academy Sports and Outdoors for about 45 seconds or a little bit longer, depending on what the mood I'm in. Uh, I know a lot of you have been watching the Final Four. I know a lot of you watched the Women's National Championship today. I probably watched more of the latter than I have the former. That's just me. Um, But does that not inspire you sometimes? I don't know if you're like this. Uh, When I grew up, I was a big Braves fan, still am, but I would take a, a quarter and I would kind of draw a batter's box line into the carpet. Mom loved it. And I would stand there and I would, I would swing along with the game. Whomst amongst us hasn't, right? Well, here's the thing. Once the game goes off, you got to eventually get outdoors and you got to play your own game. And you can do that with the help of Academy Sports and Outdoors. It is and I don't overstate this when I say the best day in the history of weather in Nashville today. The parks were full. Downtown is, is packed. And here we are, 14 floors above it all. You could have been golfing today. You could have been out there throwing the Frisbee. You, you know, one of our residents down on the bayou pointed out to me, everything you need for a crawfish boil can be purchased at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And I think most of you who have not graced their doors are saying, what? Yes, I try and tell you. I try and t- The variety is insane at Academy. So if you need to see it for yourself, and trust me, you do, go there or go to academy.com. Either way, this I promise you, you'll be glad you did. Spring games are here. Spring games finally upon us. Uh, I should tell you, I don't think it's too early to tell you this. No, it's not too early to tell you this. Okay, just going to make sure we're actually doing what I'm going to say. I'm not telling you where. I am not going to tell you where, but we are not just sitting in the studio this spring. And I promised you when we got to 150,000 subs, I've not forgotten this. I promised you a Pate State Speaker Series and a Pate State Speaker Series you're going to get. Here's what I think is boring. Bringing folks in on Zoom. Anybody can do that. I don't feel the connectivity when we do that. Sometimes we do it out of necessity. But we've got management in our back pocket right now. When we've got management's wind in our sails, that means the checkbook's open. And if the checkbook is open, we're taking the show on the road. We're going to be on a campus next Tuesday. We're going to be with a major head coach next Tuesday. I'm even thinking about doing a live show from someone's campus next Tuesday. Whomst will it be? Whomst could it be? Well, here's a clue. We have mentioned that program on the show in the past month. That's all I can give you so far. It's not Michigan, and the reason I know that is because they already had their spring game. Colin, here's your end point. Michigan had their spring game yesterday. Really early spring game. April Fool's spring game. And now they're done. Take vacation, do whatever you want to. Get into summer conditioning. They are number five in returning production this year. Okay, this is one of my favorite things to do. Watch the spring games, but then also wrap that up in a bow with all the whispers and intel and kind of buzz that we've gotten out of camp. The Michigan Insider is our 24-7 Sports Michigan website. They do a phenomenal job of covering this, second to none, when it comes to getting behind the curtain of Michigan athletics. And so I, I, I assume that that board was very happy with what they saw yesterday. Now, Corum and Edwards, the two running backs there, they sat the scrimmage out. So you got to see Ben Hall, who I think will be very serviceable. And a lot of folks are crying underrated when they talk about him because of what they saw yesterday. But look, tight ends are going to be really good there. I I am with some of the people who, when they look at Michigan, say, I really wish they had like a true dynamic wide receiver one type player. 
I think they've got good players. That's what they have. I think they've got good players there. They've got a bunch of folks. I, Brad Powers, friend of the program, I saw him say this earlier today on Twitter. They've got a lot of players who would be very good wide receiver two, three, and fours on a national championship caliber team. But you don't have that one. I could be wrong about that. They could go get a guy out of the portal, or one of these guys could develop into that. That's what spring is for. That's why we're not, we're not putting periods on the end of these sentences in spring. Here's what I notice about Michigan, and here's the feedback you get from everybody who knows this game. They won the Joe Moore Award last year. Offensive line was the best in the country. They're not going anywhere. They lost a center and a left tackle. Michigan is at a point now, culturally and developmentally, and in terms of talent acquisition, where their offensive line is going to just look like it carries over year to year. You're going to get so mad watching it as an opposing fan Because you're going to look at your guys departing, either via graduation or the portal or the draft, and then you have this pretty moderate to wild fluctuation in your production year in and year out. And then you're going to watch Michigan, as long as they're in the groove they're in right now, and they're just going to put out the same kind of really good to dominant offensive line performance. They're going to be great technicians. They're rarely going to be the reason Michigan loses a game. It's going to make you so mad. They went and got multiple offensive linemen in the portal. Uh, That is truly positionally a destination program now for offensive line transfer talent, which is something that's very underrated to watch about the portal. For broad strokes purposes, a lot of times we talk about the portal in totality. Well, the fact is, program by program, your needs are very different. Unless you're doing the USC thing and you have to put together a team, or Florida State and you have a ton of holes to fill, you can be selective. Michigan is a selective portaler. And so when they portal, they portal offensive linemen, if need be. And it doesn't even matter if they were ranked 18th in the portal. I don't even remember off the top of my head what they were ranked. They're ranked pretty high. But even if they weren't ranked high, if they were ranked 18th in portal rankings, but they added those three offensive linemen, which were the only three real necessities, if you want to call them that, they had a great portal class. So there's some nuance and some subtext in the portal conversation defense overall is elevated there. That's what stood out to me when I watched some of their spring game. It, there's not a player I'm pointing to, by the way. So it's just all around their speed and their depth and their size and their athleticism. All those things you say about SEC teams all the time. I'm not, not trying to start a war in the comments over how good Michigan would be in the SEC. I'm just saying if I put, if I put LSU jerseys you know, if I put Tennessee jerseys on, well, Tennessee would trade with this defense in a heartbeat, but you, you get my point. If I put SEC jerseys on their defense, they'd fit in. They, they're really good. They're, they're as good, let me put it this way, they're as good as Harbaugh has had. This team, and I think they know this, this Michigan team is going to be as good as any Michigan team Harbaugh has had. Now, I caught a fair amount of flack this time last year because I said I thought last year's team was going to be better than the one the year before that had gone to the playoff. And all anyone could focus on is, well, first off, there's an inevitable decline because they achieved at a higher level than they had. So there's got to be a drop-off, right? And what about this player? And what about replacing that player? The, The aggregation of everything that program is is going to be able to more than account for any individual losses. I don't know how long this window lasts, I just know they're smack dab in the middle of one right now. And watching that spring game, while spring games aren't the end-all be-all, it's so obvious. They've got quarterback. They've got running back. Whatever they are at wide receiver, the other complementary aspects of that offense are such that they, they are so, so clear about what they want to be and what they need to do. And defensively, they can take over games. I would be so interested to see them get another shot because I think that playoff hunger – you know, as, as you start to look ahead now to the fall, that playoff hunger's there to where there's, there's no complacency up there. They've won the Big Ten twice in a row. They beat Ohio State twice in a row. Their season has ended in crushing disappointment, back-to-back years. Zero threat of complacency. Schedule's a joke again. East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green, that's how they open. They can't really, well, I guess they could do something about that. It is what it is. They've got plenty enough on the back end at Penn State, at Maryland, and Ohio State. That's how they end their season. So a lot like this time last year, you could just say it again, rinse and repeat. 
Michigan doesn't have to really be all that up to start the year. They should easily overpower opponents, and they can ease their way in however they need to ease it in. But that's a, it's a really good-looking team. It's, a, it's the kind of team where instead of looking at it and panicking and asking, oh, boy, we got summer workouts, and then we got four weeks of fall. How much can we really overhaul? How much can we fix? They just have tweaks, and they just want to just adjust something 15% over there. They're largely good to go. They've largely got what they need in place. And it is just stunning to me still that we're saying that about Michigan after back-to-back years where the head coach either just outright tried to leave or was rumored to be exploring an exit via the NFL. Crazy. how they. It's such a credit to Jim Harbaugh how he's been able to maintain that. They're watching us. Ah, there we go. Post-it pop. They're watching us in New Albany, Mississippi. They're watching us in St. Paul, Minnesota. Conway, Arkansas. Probably Conway, South Carolina, too. They're all watching us. Thank you so much for that. Uh, remember to do, do me a little favor. And I do mean little. There's nothing behind this. Take that little finger of yours. Hover over that thumbs up button. Click. And you're done. Unless you haven't subscribed, in which case you need to subscribe to the channel and podcast as well. Then you're done. Thank you so much. Okay, it's time. It's time. I made the mistake, but it is my job, uh, to check the comments today and check the, check the inbox today. And if you're watching or if you're listening on podcast, bear with me while I take a sip from the chalice. You know what? We've got to actually, we've got to go full Publix spring water jug for this one. Oh, you want someone I wish was a sponsor? Publix. I would eat a sub on set every night. I already, already chugged from their spring water jugs. Pub subs. Ugh. Grab them while you can. And that chicken and wild rice soup is like crack. It's unbelievable. If you've ever watched Seinfeld reruns, I, I was like two minutes old when Seinfeld was on, so I didn't really watch it growing up. But there is that Soup Nazi episode, which is one of the most classic Seinfeld episodes. The way they make the soup seem like it would taste in that episode is the way the chicken and wild rice soup at Publix actually taste. Quote me on that. I'm not worried because they already sell out of it every time, so it's not like I'm going to create a run on soup that doesn't already exist. It's inexplicable that Publix does not sell that stuff every day. They sell the chili and beans, which is always full to the brim, by the way, but they skimp on the chicken and wild rice. Anyway, um, I look on Twitter today, and what I'm about to say has nothing to do with Publix. That was just a little rabbit hole I went down. I get a tweet from Paris, Kentucky. And the tweet reads as follows. I see all of you stopped talking about Colorado. Just another flavor of the month member dismissed. What planet is this tweet from? So to set the stage, I'm here on Earth minding my own business. And then somewhere, someone sends me a tweet that says, well, I guess you, guess you forgot about Colorado. Since when? February? Have I missed games? What's happened? No one's forgotten about Colorado. Uh, also, since you mentioned it, I do have a little news to break to you. It's written on the bottom of the screen for those watching. Colorado has sold out their spring game. And I do mean sold out. They're making people pay for this thing for the first time ever. It's going to be nationally televised April 22nd. And uh, so I had producer Jesse do what he thought he'd never have to do today. I walked in and I said, Jesse, how are you doing? How was your weekend? Go research some Colorado spring game attendance figures for me. And so he drug his knuckles right back to his office and did just that. And he came back and said, I got a stat, possibly a padlock stat. If we've ever had a padlock stat in spring, here it is. So Colorado has sold this game out. They expect 45,000 in attendance at the spring game or, no, or April 22nd. <laughs> Here's the padlock stat. Paper pop for this one. Colorado expects to surpass the aggregate total of their last nine spring games combined with this year's spring game. And that was free. They, you figure if you open the door to a stadium and it's a random Wednesday, you figure you get a thousand people and they're out of curiosity. They look, they couldn't, they put two tickets to the spring game on people's doorsteps and they woke up in the morning and there was four there. 
It was impossible. You couldn't drag people kicking and screaming to the Colorado spring game or Colorado football games for that matter. And now all of a sudden they're sold out. Why is that? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. Deion Sanders has a little bit to do with that. 2022, last year, in other words, was the 15th time in 17 years that Colorado had a losing record. And last year, they left no doubt. They were 1-11. and And so I think a lot of people are focused on how many games Deion Sanders is going to win in year one. And I said the other day, I guess I should have clarified, but I said the other day, he's already winning. And then, of course, people shot back at me. Oh, really? What are you counting? Scrimmages? What are you counting? This and that. Yeah, yeah. I think spring games count in the records. So um, for the serious people in the room, what I'm talking about is this right here. The University of Georgia is a machine right now. Kirby Smart doesn't have to sell his program to anyone. He has to recruit. But when he recruits, they're largely selecting. He doesn't have to sell the benefits of playing football for the University of Georgia, obviously, anymore. Deion Sanders cannot use the Georgia model. The, the Alabama model, the Ohio State model, the Clemson model is no good in Boulder, Colorado. They've got to quite literally invent Colorado football. Josh, Colorado football always existed. What, which Colorado football? Not the one you want. He's got to invent Colorado football for an entire generation of people who weren't even close to being born the last time they were majorly relevant on the national scene. And to do that, you got to brand, you got to promote, and you got to get eyeballs on Colorado football. And you don't do it by following convention. You don't do it by taking the playbook of people who are already there because they're acting in a way different than you have to act. So Deion Sanders, just by the nature of who he is, gets some attention. But then by landing that top-ranked portal class, you prove, well, we've gotten more people's attention and it gets, it gets fans' attention, that players' attention has been gotten. And then you have things like this. I can't even begin to explain to you. We get research on this all the time about how much how much me mentioning a team on air is worth to them in terms of marketing. Not to brag, uh, but, but it has value. Do you want to know what has infinitely more value is getting a network to nationally televise your spring game and selling it out a couple of weeks in advance to where everyone, me included, talks about it. What I'm doing right now is worth money to Colorado and us. Because all of a sudden, Colorado matters nationally. It's a very much, it's very much a, a mutually beneficial relationship, Dion and, and we, all of a sudden. Uh, but I'm going to prepare you for something. It's not prediction season. And even when it is prediction season, I probably won't spend a lot of time predicting a record for Colorado. But I told you, uh, just as sure as the sun will rise in the morning, a few weeks ago, I told you what was coming as soon as the upset started happening in March Madness, I told you the conversation was going to shift to what? That that was proof that the playoffs should be expanded in college football. Big hiccup there. Um, so, unfortunately, I was right. And I'm going to be right again with what I'm about to say. Prepare now, because the most nauseating conversation in the 2023 college football season will be the I told you so crowd. Every time Colorado loses a game, they won't wait until December. Every time they lose a game, a team that was 1-11 last year and just put together an entirely new roster. Everybody out there in the hate Dion crowd, bash Dion crowd, will tell you they told you so anytime that team loses. That team could play at Oregon, be a three-touchdown dog, lose by six, and that crowd's going to say, told you Dion would be a failure. Now, these people are largely losers, or at least have a loser's mentality. These are the people, though, who will look you square in your eye. If formerly 1-11 Colorado goes 4-8 and eight this year, they will tell you that's proof that man's a failure. They will tell you, I told you you wouldn't make a bowl game. So there's, there's, it's, it's so intellectually bankrupt. You set a borderline unattainable line in the sand, and then the line in the sand is not achieved but several noteworthy things are, and then casuals amongst you just yell, they told you so anyway. That's going to happen this year. 
The only question is which side of that are you on? That's, that's all that you have to figure out because it's going to happen this year. It's going to be gross. It's going to be, it's going to be nauseating, but it's going to happen. I, oh, a second post-it. Hey, what do these towns have in common? <laughs> these are real places. Cotton Plant, Arkansas. Little Dixie, Arkansas. Brinkley, Arkansas. Well, I'll tell you. I was in all three of them the other day. And we have gotten later in the show. And I'm still going to do the South Carolina Mood Tracker. Just a second. But uh, you guys have asked me and asked me and asked me about this. And normally I just put it in the social feeds and be done with it. But... Yeah, so, so for those unfamiliar, I cover college football in the fall. I'm a storm chaser in the spring. Really, I just do both, double duty in the spring. But sometimes we have to get flexible with our broadcast schedule in the spring because especially this spring, we've got an extremely active pattern. And I love chasing tornadoes, love doing it. So the other day, we set out Friday, and uh, me and a buddy, we took the usual route. Take 40 over to Memphis, Highway 61, the Blues Highway, right down to Tunica, Mississippi. And then you get down to uh, Lulu, Mississippi. You go over the Mississippi River into West Helena, Arkansas. And then we're off to the races and saw two tornadoes Friday. And one of them ended up, unfortunately, being a killer tornado north of Memphis. We saw that one generate. But that's not the story. So there we are. We are booking it down a dirt road, obviously, Humans Being by Van Halen is blaring in the background. And we get to where we think a circulation is about to cross in front of us. Now, mind you, every other chaser in the vicinity is on a tornado that, that we've already kind of turned loose towards Memphis. I have no interest in chasing in Memphis. And so we are all alone out on this country road. And we're seeing a circulation. We're seeing a lowering and a wall clock come at us from like 10 miles away. Great visibility in this portion of the country. Unlike the Ozarks, when you get in the Mississippi Delta and the Mississippi River Delta region, great, great vantage points. So we see it coming from 10 miles away. But internet is sketchy, as it tends to be in the Brinkleys and Cotton Plants and Little Dixies of the world in Arkansas. And so... We have a radar scan that's about seven minutes old. We pretty much think we've pinpointed where circulation is going to cross in front of us. And we miscalculated by about an eighth of a mile. And so, friends, instead of the circulation crossing an eighth of a mile in front of us, we witnessed a tornado touch down probably about two or three hundred yards away from us. Yeah, it was close enough we could measure in football fields. Right across from us in a field, power flashes had like seven power poles just snap in front of us, right down on the road. Uh, this one, which we saw touch down, ends up going a long ways, all the way across the Mississippi into Tunica, where we could have just sat the whole day, as it turns out, and on into, I think it was still warned when it came into Tennessee. It was a wild time. And that was probably just an appetite wetter because Tuesday it's going down again. And so I am going to get you a Late Kick Extra podcast in the feed for Tuesday. I'll be on the road. Maybe Missouri. Could be Missouri. We'll see. But I'll be on the road, and you can follow on the socials, at Late Kick Josh. Still want to go IG Live for a tornado. Almost did it the other day, uh, but I had to reposition us at the very last minute. So just keep following for that, and um, stay tuned, I guess. Because we do plan on having a Late Kick Live Thursday, but Tuesday, I will get you the Late Kick Extra Pod. We may just have to record it a little early. Okay. Meanwhile, mood tracker time. This one was challenging for me. It's challenging. As you know, the mood tracker is just the, the temperature gauge of a fan base, right? Well, with South Carolina, as you would imagine, it's very easy to take one's mind into the proverbial gutter when trying to set the mood for South Carolina given the mascot. So we avoid all that. You know, when, when, when they go low, we go high. So South Carolina mood tracker, what's the temperature of the fan base here? How would you feel before I tell you what I think the mood is for South Carolina? How would you feel if everyone's doubting you and you won what seven games the year before, and then they doubted you even more. And then you won eight games and you unfortunately lost to Notre Dame in a classic Gator bowl, but oh, oh well, we still won eight games, right? And we beat Clemson. I'll tell you where I have the mood. And I did not go to the big spur today. I did not need a cheat sheet from you guys. I just wanted to guess your mood. You can tell me if I'm right or not. I've got the South Carolina mood as break the glass. 
So there's this thing that the general society will do to you, and there's a thing the college football public will do to you if you're a non-blue blood, non-tier one program, if you let them. And that is they will tell you where you belong, and they will try and place you where they think you belong. And most people think South Carolina belongs in the six-win range. And so they'll talk to you in those terms. They'll predict your games. They'll predict your season in those terms. They'll give you coverage proportionate to those terms. And yet they've done it to you two years in a row, and you've overachieved two years in a row, which would lead me, if I were a South Carolina fan, to say, maybe, just maybe, I know more about my team and my program than those people do. Unfortunately, that could even include me. And if that were the case, whatever ceiling you're putting on me is obviously made of very breakable glass, so I'd just be in the mood to break the ceiling. Shane Beamer has, my head coach has, my team has. Why not me? Seven wins the year before when you didn't think we were going bowling? Check. Eight wins last year when you thought we may fall off from seven wins? Check. What about this year? Now, it's hard to just keep going up and up and up, immunity, but it's not just games they've won. It's which ones they've won. They beat Clemson last year at Clemson. They beat, they, they skull-drugged Tennessee. They splattered Tennessee. Alabama wishes they could say that. LSU wishes they could say that. They can't. South Carolina can. One of the most out-of-nowhere results in the country last year. And then they follow it up on the road. And they beat Clemson. Those are huge wins. Absolutely huge wins. And recruiting is definitely trending in the right direction. Remember when it was Shane Beamer's first cycle and they finished 80th or something like that? And everyone said he's in over his head. And then they finished 24th. And then they finished 16th. So, so there's, there's basically no result-based category where you can show me a number and I don't see this obvious trend up line. But then we start to realize, okay, once people start to realize, I just said realize like five times, but once people start to realize, oh, you're capable of things, what do they do? Sometimes they do it during the season. They definitely would do it out of season. They recalibrate their expectations. Let me tell you, that's going to happen in mass with South Carolina. This is why you need to pay no attention ever to what outsiders say. Watch the show by all means. But I'm saying don't ever let your mood be impacted by these people. They don't know. And so um, here's what it's going to sound like. Uh, let's, let's say Casual Carl is over here. Casual Carl watches Shane Beamer get hired, and he says, Beamer sucks. He's never going to amount to anything. Picks him to go 4-8. and eight. They win seven games. Casual Carl says it's a fluke. Casual Carl says, this team's going to fall off. They're a paper tiger. They win eight games. Casual Carl, then for the third year, will say, he better win nine games. You better keep going up. That's not going to win the East. Eight games is not going to win the East. That's got to be better than that. You're recruiting top 10, top 15. You better do better than that. That's how Casual Carl's going to sound. Now, what Casual Carl will never do is say, I was wrong about South Carolina, wasn't I? That's not in casual Carl's DNA. In fact, the, I don't, I'm not going to make that joke. We're live. You don't know how much discipline I just, I just exerted there in avoiding a tasteless joke. The last thing we want to be in life is classless. If I learned anything from the Women's National Championship game today, last thing we want to be is classless. The most overused term in sports, classless. It's so overused I can use the next most overused term, and it's not even close, to describe how wide the gap is between how, how frequently classless is used and then how, how, many, how many times, and it's not even close, is used. Uh, if you didn't watch the game today, none of that means anything to you. So South Carolina, my mood would certainly be, yeah, I want to win every game we play. But I also understand there's this, there's this parallel lane with our football program right now where no matter how much we've overachieved, people there's a certain there's a certain portion of the college football public that thinks any success South Carolina is having is temporary. It's a sugar high. It's the Red Bull effect, and they will fall off. And it doesn't matter how wrong they've been. They'll just continue to predict your demise. And if you ever finally fall off, whether it's year three or year 10, they'll say, I told you so. Blind squirrel, broken clock. You get the deal. So... Don't worry about it, is my A piece of advice. And my B piece of advice is consider it a privilege 
when they put that ceiling on top of you. Because you see, no matter how low or high the ceiling they put on top of you is, you've always got enough power to break it. What A preview magazine has no weight. People who talk in microphones for a living, they don't actually wield any power over you unless you let them. So sure, they're going to try and place you. Don't let them. Uh, South Carolina probably doesn't need my advice on that because they've done a really good job of already ignoring it. Okay, big week coming up on multiple fronts. Uh, we are going to be on the road next week, so two weeks from now. So Look, I know that the calendar says off-season, but that just means we need to be selling calendars in the Pate State Store when we reopen it very soon. Keep an eye on that. We are not, we are not backing off an inch, so we will continue and continue and continue to pump these shows out for you as long as you're there, and the numbers say you very much are, so thank you for that. In the meantime, for producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Payton. Take care, have a great start to your week, and God bless.